Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. I'm Becca Piastrelli, and this is Belonging, where I talk about what it means to belong to the earth, to yourself, to your ancestors, and in community. So today's episode is responding to curiosities and inquiries and straight up questions that I get about the process of writing a book because I did that. I'm telling myself right now, Becca, you did that. You wrote a book. It's coming out. November 16th, Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect with Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self, published by Sounds True. I'm going to be plugging that a lot. And I was wondering, like, why do people want to know this? And then I realized Becca, four years ago, would definitely want to know all the details, all the details of how to write and publish a book. And I'm realizing that my story is important to share. And I remember really just like soaking up everyone's version of that. So where do I begin on this process for me? Well, okay, this is a little bit embarrassing to admit now. Um, I remember it was like 2016 and Tim and I went to a Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within weekend event. Um, I now kind of think, no, I straight up think Tony Robbins is problematic, but at the time I was pretty impacted in a positive way by most of what I experienced that weekend. It was also pretty manipulative, I got to say, to get people to pay him a lot of money to change their lives, which is just feeding into a problematic culture. But maybe I'll talk about that another episode. I will say that it was like 2 a.m. Tim and I had just walked on fire. That's like the big part of that of that weekend event is outside. They have rows and rows and rows of hot coals and 
Tony Robbins pumps you up for hours, like dancing to Rihanna in a cold stadium. You are just jacked up. And then you go outside and they're playing like African drumming music and you walk across hot coals and it's like a shot of electricity through your body. Like I could have powered a city. I felt so alive after that experience. And then you go home and you have to be back there at like eight in the morning and you just don't sleep. So I'm laying, I'm in my hotel room with Tim, laying awake in bed. We're both just like, bah, and revealing truths to each other in a really powerful way. And I say to him, I really, I really want to write a book. And Tim says to me, what about? And I said, I have no idea. I just want to write a book. So I've been thinking about that, where I put that intention out into the world. It was made real by my saying it. And also, I spent the next year asking myself why, because I didn't have was I still the dabblest back then? I think I was recently letting go of the dabblest and fully under my name. But the why of writing a book was actually quite confronting because I realized it was to be seen, to feel important and successful. It was the why didn't actually feel aligned. So it's cool to say that now, but I felt ashamed for a long time. Like, oh, I just want to like be someone who has a book because people who have books seem successful and famous in some way. Um, So I had to dig deep to reorient to service because otherwise it wasn't going to work. And a a side note here is there is actually like a lineage healing story that also works into the intention that I made that night at two in the morning after walking on fire to write a book, which is on my mother's mother's line, the line with the last name Root, Although that's just the name of the men, the the unnamed women, right? They don't get to keep their names and their names are of their fathers. Anyways, my mother, Anne, or Betsy and her mother, Anne, or Rudy, because her last name was Root, both have book stories. So my grandmother, Rudy, her whole life said she was going to write a book. She was going to write and publish a book. She was an amazing writer. And had a lot of stories to tell and wanted to write the biography of Michael Flatley <laughs> from Lord of the Dance. And every time I'd come visit her in Boston, we'd watch Lord of the Dance and she'd say, I've written to him because I want to write his biography. That never came to pass, which is kind of the point. She was a woman who had a pretty tough life filled with trauma and really being told she wasn't good enough by the men in her life. And my mother grew up very frustrated with her always talking about her grand dreams of writing a book and never actually writing one. And my aunt has even talked about after she died, coming across all these manuscripts, all these manuscripts, uh, including like movie scripts that she's written that never came to be for whatever reason, probably has a lot to do with feeling not good enough or not being perfect enough. So then my mother in 1981 self-published her own book. And she didn't tell me that until a couple years ago where she came over and she put this book into my hands and she said, I'm disgusted at it. I don't want to look at it. I feel like I'm going to vomit when I look at it. 
And I, I asked her why, and it took a while for her to realize like her come from her, at least this is how I perceived it. I wonder what she'd say now. Her come from with there was just like to prove her mom wrong, to be like, it's not that hard. And I can understand that, but I was also like, mom, look what you did. She's mother of a toddler. She had started her own business in Washington, D.C., teaching people how to type because word processing was coming on the scene. And so she self-published a book called The Perfect Word by Betsy Guthrie about how to use a word processor, basically a manual for how to use a word processor on these new computer things that were on the scene. So I have that book now. It's on my altar. It was on my altar throughout the whole book writing process. And so a part of this, I'm telling you this story because I am realizing that there is a healing that has happened in me writing and publishing my book. There is some sort of theme here that felt important. And in the moments when I thought, I can't finish this, I can't do this, I'm too ashamed, I'm too confronted, I don't like being looked at in this way, it's too intimate or whatever it was, there was, I had to dig deep. And this was one of the reasons I had to, had to, wanted to, was to really complete this cycle for my mother and my grandmother with my mother and my grandmother. So, right, I had to dig deep to reorient to service. And I finally came to a place where I wanted to share what I'd learned and what I believed about my own life, seasonal cyclical living, belonging. And so I had an idea and I have some friends who have published books and they said the first step is to get an agent, unless you want to self-publish, which I did not because that seemed arduous and hard and I didn't have a very large audience. And I think that's really what is needed to self-publish, but not always. I will say not always. Uh, But I wanted a publisher. I wanted the support and resources of a publishing house, people who have done it, who do it all the time. So finding an agent, how do you find an agent? Well, I think some people just Google agents. And I had some amazing friends. So I started sharing with friends who I knew had published books. I I have a book idea. I would like to write a book. And they all said that they would introduce me to their agents. Okay. One person (laughs) said she would introduce me to her agent and did. A few others said they would introduce me. And then I was too afraid to follow up and it never happened. But this friend who's written a very successful book introduced me to her agent. So I talked to her agent and it was a disaster. (laughs) He was very intimidating. He had a lot to say. I wrote up like a very quick, like one page proposal of the book and what would come to pass is I'd write like 200 versions of that and change it and change it and change it and change it. But that was my first one. And Ultimately, it just wasn't a good match. Uh, But I was in such an unempowered place. You know, he was like a god who was telling me, yeah, this isn't actually very good. Then it probably wasn't. But it was rough feedback to get. And I think I just wasn't fully, I don't know, ready. So I had to lick my wounds after that. 
But I had some friends, some close friends that I had been talking to about making this process real, which I think is so important. It was a precious secret, but it wasn't kept so close to me that I didn't sort of have accountability through good friends, through Tim, my partner, and a couple good friends in a women's circle I'm in who were like, hey, what's up with the book? What's up with that? How are you feeling about that? Where are you, where are you with that? I could say, oh, I talked to this friend's agent and and it was so bad and I hated it and we could talk it through. So anyways, it took a little bit of time, but then I have this wonderful friend who I used to work at a co-working space back when that was a thing, Jenny Heffernan Brown, who I was in a little mastermind with. And she said, hey, I have stuff I want to work on. And it seems like you need to work on refining this book proposal. And that's going to keep you in this process. So why don't we go to the library like once a week after work and I'll work on my stuff and you work on your stuff. So I did this a couple times and in pretty quick time after like really licking my wounds for quite a few months, I wrote my proposal and she actually went through it. She has an MFA in writing, so she and she worked in publishing. So she looked at it and said, oh, let's try this, this, this. And then I had a proposal. So that's a really important thing to know about the traditional publishing process is your proposal you have to write, which is basically like a business plan. And you can look up examples online. They're everywhere. But it's... <laughs> exhausting and nice to just do a little bit at a time, but it's, it's not just like, here's what the book is about. It's like an executive summary of the book. It's selling yourself, uh, how you plan to market a full marketing plan for the book. Then you have to look up comps or like titles of books that are in the similar space that have been published recently and say how you're going to be different from them. And then you have to summarize every chapter and then you have to write a sample chapter. So I did all this. And then I shared it with another friend's editor, which is amazing that this editor gave me this time. I think it really speaks to, it's really who you know and the web you weave. That has been my biggest realization in this whole process is like establish relationships. Even if like, like these relationships, these were good friends. We love each other. And like, but six years down the line, an opportunity comes up, comes up. I think some of us, especially in like maybe entrepreneurial world, have an extractive mindset, even if we don't know it, to think, what is this person going to do for me? But what if you looked at, what can I give this person because I genuinely love them and like them and like what they have to say and just like see what comes of it? So in this book experience, it's all come from these friendships these genuinely joyful friendships where opportunities arose naturally. So I talked to this editor and ultimately that wasn't a good fit either. And I remember she said, you know, this was in 2018, you know, people just aren't interested in books about women's issues right now, unless it's diets. <laughs> this was like me too time. I was like, literally what? So, okay, I had to step away from that. And I really just took like a month because every time I got this sort of feedback from people I made more powerful than me and like above me, I felt pretty upset, pretty rejected, really rejected. And then I remember it was on the winter solstice 2018, a good friend of mine 
said, hey, another friend of mine has a book agent who is looking for people that are talking about witch stuff. And that's not me, but I thought maybe it was you. And I was like, what? I mean, I have a book idea, but it's not about witch stuff. But yeah, connect me. So then two hours later, I was on the phone with her friend who then said, let me connect you to my agent, who is now my agent, Wendy Sherman. I had a call with Wendy. I sent over my proposal. And then we spent the next few months refining it to pitch more towards this witch angle. Then in the spring, she started pitching and we got all no's, all no's, except one very small publisher who I won't name because we ended up not going with them, who said, I want this other angle. So the publisher who wanted the witch book said no, but this other publisher. So then I, co- I spent all summer, I remember I, I was in Scotland and I had to take a Skype call and it was so embarrassing because I had such bad service. Anyways, so then I spent all summer rewriting the proposal for this, basically rewrote my chapters, everything for this new publisher. And I'll never forget, it was October 31st. I was at my friend Katina's house in Connecticut and I got the call from Wendy that said, they said no. And I was like, what? Because it felt like a done deal. And I'd spent many months writing for this publisher who said, we want this book from you. And then they said, actually, our acquisitions team said no. Oof, rough, 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 rough. And then Wendy was like, you know what? Screw them. But she didn't say screw. And I'm just going to, let's just take this amazing proposal. And I'm just going to run it by the people I ran it by last spring. I'm just going to run it by them again. It's like, okay. She just like, she's like, we're not going to, you can feel your feelings, but I'm going to keep going. A week later, I'm in Northern California hosting the Rooted Magic Retreat, and I get a call from Wendy that says, Sounds True wants it. They want it. They love it. They feel the magic of it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And I remember I was on the phone. Caitlin, who supports this podcast, supports this business, supports me, is incredible, is on every retreat with me. I was there. I was like crying in her arms and like freaking out. And... It was a done deal. It was a done deal. So that's kind of long, but that is really how it worked. So many lessons there, really, like time, like timing, like that same publisher wasn't interested in the spring with just like different wording. So like, I think I felt so rejected on a personal level, like they don't like me and what I have to say. And it was like, no, it was like, the wording of this thing at the time based on what they wanted, based on their, like what they ate that morning. Like, it's just so arbitrary. It's so arbitrary. And this is what I've learned. I've definitely gotten thicker skin, but also the publishing world is a bit of a game. Like most of this system, these constructs we live in. So it's helped me to realize it's, it's like a puzzle, you know, that you've got to figure out how to put together. And it's less about the judging of your soul. And I know that in business, when I first started out in like 2013, everything felt so tender, particularly in the 
the work of spirituality and personal development, which I don't really use those terms anymore, self-help. It's just, and when you're telling your story, when you're telling your story, it can feel so tender and personal. And there is a way in which that can stop you. So it's a hard thing to dance with. And I continued to feel rejected and uh, struggled with criticism throughout the whole process. But I also feel proud of myself for sticking with it. So we signed the contract. And then I got pregnant after three years of struggling with losses. And that was a year after my last pregnancy, which was a loss. So I got pregnant and it was incredibly exciting. And lo and behold, my baby and my book were due the same week, (laughs) which feels very cool and beautiful. And like magic is real, but there's like a little bit of a ticking clock because I had a little bit of burnout from writing the proposal plus everything else to run my business and my life. And now I had to write a whole book. I had to write a whole book and I'm pregnant. And my first trimester, I was so sick, so, so, so sick that I was counting on my second trimester where everyone says like, you feel better. I was counting on that to be like when I was going to basically power write the book. So it took about 28 weeks. So I was like halfway into my second trimester and I finally start to feel better. Of my whole 40-week pregnancy, I got six weeks where I felt good. The rest I felt truly awful. Couldn't really leave the bed or the couch. So I did my best during those six weeks. And then the third trimester hit and I got sick again. And I was also slowing down. You know, the veil was thinning and I really could only think about nesting and having a baby but I had a book to finish. So in my notes, I wrote final trimester panic. It was a total panic. And then I remember listening to a podcast interview. I don't know if you've heard of the Call Your Girlfriend podcast with Amina Tussauds and Anne Friedman. They wrote a book called Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close, which I highly recommend. And I was sort of watching how they launched this book, particularly in a pandemic. So I was like, how do you do a virtual book tour? Which I will be doing. And I remember on the interview, Anne and Aminatu were talking about getting help and that most big writers get help. Like, I don't know if you've heard that Brene Brown, who's written these incredible books, like she doesn't write a word. She gets a hotel room or a cabin or an Airbnb, and she just walks around and talks while her team writes for her. And then Aminatu and Anne were like, oh, yeah, we brought in an editor. We brought in an editor slash ghostwriter who helped us finish this. And I was like, what am I doing taking on this like incredible task by myself in my third trimester? What am I doing? A book that has a significant section on not doing things alone and community and co-creation. So I called in support. I called in I remember I said, I've got a doula for birth and I've got a doula for my book. And that was Azalea Moen, who really just came in to help me finish, to keep me accountable, to read chapters and to support me. And then I brought in an editor. So I paid these people. I hired and paid these people. I had gotten in advance. So when I got my book deal, they paid half up front 
and then half the advance when I delivered the manuscript. So I had some funds to support this book. Uh, and the editor I hired is Noelle Ruth. And I'll leave, put these people's links in the show notes because these are incredible people that if you are working on a project or a book and need some support, they would be incredible. So I think I gave them an insanely quick turnaround of like this book, this manuscript has got to be done at least two weeks before my due date. And I think that was only three weeks. <laughs> so I remember one weekend I got a hotel room and we powered through and we got it done and I turned it in and then I had Atlas. But then, as I've said before, I had all of October. So I had, had Atlas end of August and then all of October was edits. So I was one month postpartum, which is not a long time. You're still very much in it. Plus the world was burning. At least California was burning, uh, which is typical now of October. And I called on the team again. Azalea and Ruth came back in because what happens with edits is it's not like track changes, you know, this is the wrong tense. It's like big ideas like, hey, I read this and I think that we're missing a chapter here and I would love for you to tease out this. Like a lot of like cerebral effort that I was just, I was so low capacity. I just didn't have space for. So in this case, we did a lot of Marco Polo, which is an app on your phone where it's like video chatting and Zoom where we talked it out and Noelle did a lot of writing of what I was talking about and we were able to finish it that way. I'm realizing I skipped ahead a little bit because what someone asked me on Instagram is like your writing process. So I will say, particularly in those six weeks of feeling good where I wrote the majority of the book, my process is, okay, I'll be real with you. I am of the generation that has a really short attention span and I, oh, I want to work on it so much. And a lot of that has to do with our devices and the way we work with email. And, you know, there's just so many ways to get in touch with each other that we've lost our attention spans. It's why like television series are actually more popular than movies because a lot of us can't even finish movies. I fall asleep. It's a different story for me as a new mom. But I know that I really struggle writing on a computer for a long period of time. It's hard for me to get into deep workspace. Like Tim, my partner, pure generator in human design, he can just like power in and go, go, go. And I, a manifesting generator, a natural multitasker, struggle. So what I would do is I got, I purchased the writing software called Scrivener. I think it's $45, which is a beautiful writing software that is very intuitive and you can write like certain sections. You can lay out the book. My friend Maho Mofino, who published Breaking the Good Girl Myth, she was like, you got to use Scrivener. Don't be typing in Google Docs or Word. So that was really helpful because I could outline the book and I could pop around and it auto-saved and it was really nice. So I wrote in Scrivener. And then I worked in uh, the Pomodoro method, which is in 25-minute chunks with five-minute breaks. So I just go to tomatotimer.com or like tomato-timer.com because Pomodoro tomato. And I would just hit start. And there's something about that 25-minute chunk that made me like really focus because I knew I didn't have a ton of time. And then to get rid of distractions... 
like turned off Slack, turned off my messaging, all of that. And I put on, I have a Mac, so it's the self-control app. I think there's another one called Freedom. There's so many now where you list the URLs that you like typically go to and they're blocked and you say it for a certain amount of time. So it was like no Gmail, no New York Times, no celebrity gossip sites. I'm revealing it all. Um, No Instagram, no Facebook, no, yeah, no Reddit. Like, no, 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 no. Which is helpful because sometimes my fingers just go and open a tab without my brain even knowing. So that created a space. And then I learned about this organization called Cave Day, which has these virtual co-working, they call them caves. Uh, for they have ones that are like shorter, like an hour and a half. And then I did the ones that were, I think, three and a half hours where they work in chunks and it's just more like accountability. So I had like this Zoom. I mean, there's like 80 of us in a Zoom room and then there was a facilitator. And then on breaks, they'd have us like move our bodies or go quickly into breakout rooms and say what we're working on or reflect in some way. And I really liked it. So I also recommend Cave Day for folks who want to feel like, you know, they're not doing it alone. Some days cave day didn't work for me because, um, because it just didn't work, but that did help for a bunch of stuff. And then focus playlists. And for me, it's like Philip Glass, Max Richter, John Thayer, Definitely like no lyrics music that has a lot of like repeating, lower BPM, classical, super emo, (laughs) super emotional. Uh, That helps me write. And then sometimes I'd find one song I liked and I just hit, I'd have it on repeat the whole time. And I think that just helps my brain relax and go into a place of like evoking the words, letting the words really just like drip from me, particularly because the nature of my writing is emotional and also ancestral, like needed to get me to time travel, to talking about ancestors, to talking about the wild, to the wilderness. And here I am on my computer with my devices. And yes, I'm looking out at a beautiful oak tree, but how could I bring that in? Some days I would have to go on walks or sit in the garden and drink tea and just try to get myself to another place to write. So I hope that helps to share. Everyone's got their own process. And I don't know what my process is now and that I'm in a new iteration of myself post-baby, but that was my process then. So I turned in the edits last October 2020. And so now we're a year later. And the book is coming out. So in the last year, it's been kind of fun. A lot of reviewing of like a professional copy editor went over that, like triple checking all of the resources I cited, all my citations, um, choosing an illustrator. And we ultimately went with Amy Grimes, who made beautiful, incredible illustrations for this book going back and forth with the publisher. Th- her, I couldn't talk to her directly. That's one thing that happens in publishing that's hard. So working with the publisher to talk to Amy about her illustrations, working on the book, the cover, uh, which took a few tries to get right. And now I'm obsessed with the cover. I think it's so beautiful. And that was important to me because I want this book to go on altars and coffee tables and really like 
be a siren song on the bookshelf saying, pick me up and let me entertain all your senses and let's get working with our hands. It's not just like read the words and integrate it and buy. I mean, how many books have we written? It's like come and gone. I want this information to really integrate into our bodies and into our hearts and reach out into our communities through the ripple effects of the practices and the journal prompts. And and so the cover was important and the illustrations were important. And then going over all the, just like the layout of every page, where the, where the number was, what the font was, which uh, text do we tease out? I mean, every little detail of this book. And I loved that. I loved that process. It was so, so fun. So, so fun. Oh, we, I got a sensitivity reader or diversity reader. So that's really important in these times, particularly because I'm, I have white privilege. I, white supremacy is still working through me to have uh, a person of color or indigenous person read through and bring up points that are insensitive or have a blind spot. And I had quite a few of those. So we had to rewrite, be more inclusive, correct, things like that. And then we sent it out for endorsements. So I had people I know and people I don't know who have written books read it and then provide endorsement, which was very scary because this book shares a lot of personal stories and it really takes a firm stand on some opinions. But I survived that. And then we got those endorsements back and then we include that in the marketing of the book. And then I got to record the audio version of the book, which was a really beautiful gift for me to read through the whole book once more and to really feel like, okay, this we got something here. So yeah, now we're... Now it's in print and we're getting ready to share it with the world. So I probably didn't cover everything, but that's about as much as I can share based on the questions I got and what sticks out to me. That it took about two years from the contract, but from that moment on the bed after Tony Robbins, five. <laughs> that's my process. There are some writers who are moving much quicker than that. And this is for my first book because I am clear I want to write another one. And I don't know when or when that will happen yet, but I've ha I've learned so much from this process. And I think it can be beautiful. It's like a work of art with so many people touching it. So know that every time you pick up a book and there's an author's name, there's just so many hands that going in to create it. And it's a medium I personally love so much. How many of us just have like books stacked in our side tables of our bedrooms? It's just such a wonderful way to connect with ideas, particularly off a screen, which feels important in these times. So if you have any other questions for me, you can probably hit me up on Instagram when I share this episode, Becca Piastrelli on Instagram, and I'll happily answer your questions about the book writing process. And if you are writing a book. I wish you courage and ease and remember to take a walk outside and drink water and know that the right words usually come from creating space for yourself. But also a little pressure from a Pomodoro timer helps too. <laughs> Both and. Thanks for listening. Talk soon. 
Thank you so much for joining me. I know your time is sacred and the fact that you spent it with me talking about belonging means a lot. If you want to access show notes or links to old episodes, check out belongingpodcast.com. And if you know a friend who could really benefit from listening to this episode, share it with them. I'll talk to you soon.